The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm Sapphire Master. My pronouns are him, his, and he. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers! What are we drinking today? We are drinking the very last of a very old bottle of brandy that's been hidden away in your liquor cabinet, which, to be honest, with as many bottles as that cabinet holds, yeah. it could have gotten pushed to the back for years. Yeah. I'm I, sure it did. I believe I've had that bottle for 30 years. Wow. So we will experiment on this one. <laughs> but we finished it today. Um, yes. Just a small amount to try and one less bottle to move. It's a Mission Fathers premium quality California brandy. Yeah. And I've got nothing about this. I have no idea <laughs> it's, where you know, it came San from. San Francisco, 80 proof, MF Company. I don't even know if it's still available. I, never, I mean, I it may not be. What'll be fun is when I write this one up, I yeah. always research to see if I can find the company. Yeah. A lot of those companies that have been conglomerated into yeah. a bigger company. Absorbed, but yeah. yeah, exactly. But we'll we'll see. Yeah. Let's give it a whiff. Wow. Oh, it's beautiful aromatic. Yeah. Yeah. Like floral and fruit. You know, brandy smells different than whiskey. It has a different mm-hmm. aroma. It's like richer. It's like a richer aroma. And it's similar, kind of like a wine base. It, it's not wine, but the processes are similar to wine, more, oh. much more than liquor. Oh. I mean, it still is the liquor, but it's fermented differently like that. And yeah. so that's why you get those other aromas. I've always had a thing for brandy. You know, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I grew up in South Africa, mm-hmm. and we used to read about the North Countries mm-hmm. and about how the dogs would have like a little thing of brandy oh, around yeah. their neck. Yeah, the St. Bernard's. The, snow, the St. Bernard's, yeah. you know. So I've always had that in my head, like it's a cold country thing. Yeah. But actually, it's a very, the senses and the aromas that it generates reminds me of sitting in like a leather chair in oh, a library. you read my mind. I'm just know? like, I imagine a leather-bound book library, mm-hmm. you know, filled with books, in an overstuffed leather chair with those nice buttons all over it. Yeah. And my footstool and a roaring fire, and this is something you can sip while yeah. you read a book. Yeah. Well, it's got a really full flavor. Oh, wow. See, really long lovely. finish. That's really lovely, actually. Mm. Very warming. Warming. Wow, Fruity. that's really good. It's like lovely. It's a lovely it's brandy. It's actually really good brandy. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. And we might find it's a company we can still find. So for brandy, 
That's a nice brandy. That's a nice sipping one. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It's got a really full aroma, full flavor. Like, my whole mouth is, like, filled with flavor. See, I love drinking brandy very much like I drink my Cavassier. Yeah. Where you use the steam heat bath yeah. on the brandy sniffer glass. You know, bit, we're yeah. in a... We're in temporary housing right now, so we're using like water glasses and right. stuff. But what's fun is when you heat it up right. and get... it releases the oils right. in it and it just has the aromas and the flavors are come out. Yeah. Nice choice. Well, I think brandy is kind of like whiskey's big brother mm -hmm. in a way. You know, it's like yeah. the whiskeys are lovely, but they oh, feel yeah. a, little, a little lighter than this. This feels like a fuller, richer experience. Yeah. This is like driving like a 12-cylinder car, and whiskeys are like driving like a 6-cylinder car. Yes, exactly. That's like that. You know? It's like that. <laughs> yeah. I like this one. I'd recommend it. Mm -hmm. You can find it again. Chapter 21. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So this is an interesting chapter because it's really her conversation with her psychiatrist. Yeah, Crombie's taken her on. As a client. As right. a client. Yeah. And so she's on the couch, and you're getting into some of the ways that psychiatrists analyze patients mm -hmm. by getting them to talk about what's on their mind. Right. And it's been a conversation that, you know, she's only seen him a total of three times through this whole thing. Right, right. And this is really, this chapter begins with her seeing him for the second time. Right. And it's really insightful in a way, because what you get is that there was... A real awareness that she had mm -hmm. that what she was experiencing with Gordon was really good and really bad. Well, they use that whole garden analogy. Yeah, um, talk about that. So there's. Well, she she talked about going to what was the chateau? She went to a chateau in the Loire Valley in yeah, France. I don't in, remember the specific chateau. On the way to when they were driving back to Spain. Yeah, with her current husband. Yeah, and there was a gardens that had four. Different types of gardens. It's a special the garden of love or well, something. It was the lover's garden, right. Yeah. And then there's one garden that was I don't know. There were four hearts and... Yeah, there were four flower beds. And each of the four were designed specifically. So yeah. one was designed with flowers and things. Like happy love. And it was a happy love garden. And one was a little bit more of a like done with fans and things it was more of a gay, gay love. love. Yes. And and one was with swords and daggers. And that was the or destructive love and love, destruction. Love and destruction. And then the last one was broken flower beds and broken things. And that was sort of the end of love. Right. And so she had this really interesting insight, which was that with her current husband, she has sort of a non-sexual relationship because she perceives him as impotent. Mm -hmm. And does, he doesn't make love to her properly. And so they don't really have a lot of sex. Mm -hmm. But with Gordon, she had like a perfect loving relationship because she and Gordon shared the angry love garden yeah they and were they she, existed in the they same existed garden. in the same garden whereas she and her husband exist in different gardens and and she had this revelation of like oh i understand why it isn't working right and shared that with crombie which was insightful for him because at first the chapter before where crombie was first interviewing her or assessing her as a client yeah. I wasn't 100% sure he would even take her on as a client right. or he was just going to listen to her talk about Gordon and try to move her along, like not really going to therapy. But this next chapter we're in now, he's definitely doing therapy. Yeah. And I give him props on how he is looking out for her good right. in the sense of asking her if she even understands what 
love means to her and does she believe she can have full love. Right. Because she talks about how Gordon was the only thing. Right. And that theirs was a love destruction kind of love where Gordon understood that he wasn't well and that he was deep in kink with her and felt shamed about it. Well, we talked about that before, about why did Gordon commit suicide? And I speculated that he was really overwhelmed by his kinky dynamic Mm -hmm. with her Mm -hmm. and he had to kick her out and go back into analysis and remember we talked about his analyst not being available yes and then he committed suicide because he got into this relationship with this other woman married her married her because he thought it was his last chance to reform himself exactly and what we learned in this chapter is that that's more or less exactly what happened that yeah as soon as he kicked her out, he married this other person and within days committed suicide. Well, and amazingly, though, well, they had been married for a couple months because amazingly, she went and hooked up with this older gentleman. Who kept her who, for two who, years. Who was wealthy and kept her, you know, basically. Yeah. And Gordon visited her while she was in a relationship with this guy. Yeah. And it was days after that visit which I think gave him, like, he couldn't have her back, or it was right, over, or, right. or he had flashbacks of his shame, right, right? right? You know, why else would he see her, right. right? If he was not already struggling with what he was trying to create as this vanilla life right. with this new wife. And uh, days after she and Crombie were talking in the session this time, they said, yeah, it was days after he killed himself, right? after he saw him. Right, so you have a situation where she's really getting clear that as much as she has been unable to get Gordon off of her mind, that Gordon was unable to get her off of his mind. Mm-hmm. And what Crombie says to her is, look, Gordon's dead. My, my job's to keep you alive. Which I thought was powerful for him to say that, because I don't think she even was suspecting or thinking that far ahead. Like, well, I don't think she's suicidal now. But I think that what he's concerned about is that she's so consumed with this notion of finding kink connection that she would, you know, feel depressed and, and off herself. But what he's really getting at is this overwhelming consumption that existed mm-hmm. in Gordon's mind for her mm-hmm. and then in her own mind for him. And it occurs to me that the conversation that she finished the chapter on was where she sort of felt light and relief was really where she got present to if there is an opportunity for a perfect love, that it it can be available and I can make it available. And it can be kinky. She and can it can be kinky. That. And even though Gordon's gone, it could be someplace else, which is why they even started talking about if she's so unhappy in her marriage, it sounds like a marriage of convenience right? versus she's even in love. Right. Now, she thinks on her spousal side that he does love her and is loyal and all these things to her, but right. she doesn't feel that way. She tolerates. No. And she had never considered of leaving. No, but if you look at our relationship, mm-hmm. both you and I mm-hmm. came from that marriage. Right. That of convenience. Yeah. For different reasons. Yeah. And now we're both experiencing a dynamic that is about as perfect as it could be, right, right? you know, where we get to be self-expressed in our kink and mm-hmm. in our sadomasochism and in our dominance and submission. Like, there's a lot that we're experiencing mm-hmm. that 
has altered our experience of relationship completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really similar to what she was looking for. Yes. And I can sit here in this space with you and, and mm-hmm. have that realization. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a fantasy. Like, that's actually real. Well, I thought it was amazing that Crombie, even for this time period, like, really put a name to it. He right. specifically said, you know, Gordon had explored uh, many kinks with you. Right. I mean, they actually said it, which yeah. for the time, that was always a danced around word, right. an issue. Right. They he, might have said perversions. Right. But he said specifically said kinks. kinks. Yeah, well, that's how she wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's an interesting chapter because, you know, you get clear about her own experience as a submissive being mm-hmm. deeply into that sense of belonging to a sadist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in like, how it occurs for you because that's really what comes out of that. Well, like how I identify with her yeah. or not? Yeah. I think she's having... You know, the garden thing was an interesting analogy for me to even as she's explaining it as you right. know we're reading it i'm thinking yeah i didn't fit in the same gardens as my prior you know spouse yeah and i don't think we would have ever found paths to get to, to each other's gardens right. either and i really didn't want to go to his garden right and so i think about and we've talked about this before the affinity the connectedness the relatedness obviously we're sex forward kink forward kind of relationship is completely different than anything and just like her gordon was in that realm too and it was completely different than any other relationship she ever experienced what i'm aware of is she's just becoming aware that she has the ability and the power to create and find that again or something that's healthier and i feel that that's exactly what happened i was like i'm going to find this Right. I'm not 100% sure what I'm looking for, but there's something pulling on me, right. making me look, like right. really look. Like I could have gone in a million directions. Being unhappy in your marriage creates all kinds. People get divorced. It's not like a new thing. Right. What led me in that direction? Right. Well, because you, it was always there. No, for sure. Yeah, I'm present to that. I'm present to the, the just the raw animal magnetism that mm-hmm. exists between us. Mm-hmm. And I can completely get what attracted her to that relationship with Gordon. I didn't like Gordon for lots of reasons I've talked about. Yeah, exactly. But I can totally see, just because of our experience, Mm -hmm. I can totally see how their experience could occur, the way that it occurred, the way she reports it. Mm -hmm. And I can see how she loved and loathed him. Yeah, because they talked about, did you want to kill him? Right. She loved and she loathed him. Yeah. And Crombie makes the argument that her loathing of him certainly contributed in some way to his suicide. Mm-hmm. But not actually, but just like in some emotional way. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was the man that she lived with for two years who kept her after Gordon had kicked her out, mm-hmm. he had recently died. And they had a conversation in the chapter about, well, did his death make you happy too? And she's like, no, I didn't really care about him at it all. Wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made any, any difference. difference. And, you know, there was a moment where you think, well, maybe she's trying to be left with, well, any man I'm with that I like dies. Right. But that's not really where it Mm-mm. was. Mm-mm. However, you get that there are now at least three distinct relationships in this chapter mm-hmm. with men that are talked about, like with her husband who has an impotent sexual 
and kind of a marriage of convenience relationship with her. Right. With the man she lived with for two years who she didn't care about at all. Mm -hmm. And with Gordon, who used her about as hard and as kinky as possible mm -hmm. and how she loved and loathed him. And you have these three relationships to think about. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, she's present to that maybe there's something that I can do about this urge that I have, whether it's leave my husband. Well, or... and even the idea of her not ever really wanting to be married. Like right. marriage was what society pressures were right. You can present. identify with that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I even said this before I got my first marriage, is the reason I waited nine years to get married was finally I wanted to start having children, and right. I thought being married legally would be safer for the children. Right. But it really, I wasn't interested because I kept saying, a piece of paper doesn't make you any more no. loyal or love me anymore right. well, or talked, prove to me anything on right. any level. You no, we've, talked about, we've talked about this, how our relationship is codified by your collar. Right, right. And how the collaring you in a kink dynamic mm -hmm. is way more powerful than a marriage ceremony. Well, because we created it, too. That's the other thing. When you go through, when you're young and you're getting married, a lot of times you're following procedure based on your spiritual background right. or family pressures of what you should do. And I, I get that people write vows, but there's a lot of, you have to give in to a lot of things yeah. to make it all the powers that be happy because yeah. things are being paid for and yeah. there's pressures, right? What was so amazing about what we did with collaring was we're two able-bodied adults feeling this connection. The relationship had progressed to a point where we felt that was the next kind of step, right? Felt committed. Yeah. And we created it. Right. And so it was so personal. It was like, I'm not telling people have to do it our way or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But for us, it wasn't about the show. Right. I didn't need to show to prove to the public that I'm committed. Right. What was important is you had to know right. that I was committed. Right. You had to know I loved you. You had to know I was aligned. Right. And likewise for me, right? Right. And that's what was created. So the power of that is, for me, is extremely profound. No, for me too. And what's interesting is, because, you know, this book is coming to an end. We've got one more chapter. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> But it's been interesting because you've seen the experience of her experience as a kinkster through this mm -hmm. conversation. And it's kind of like her awakening. Totally. Right? It's like her awakening. And in this chapter, she's finally allowed herself mm -hmm. to have the experience of contemplating a kinky dynamic where love is present. Yeah. And where she's part of the creation like yeah. it's not just happening to her yeah she's participant in it yeah well i'm really glad because i was really hating this book i was hating gordon i know i was really i was really he's not, pretty tormented he I was I, I just i just was hating it however i was looking forward to hearing more about it from her point of view yeah and so i thought this chapter did that i thought this chapter because it's it's pretty much the whole chapter is her on the couch. Yeah. You pretty much get into her head. And it's been eight years. That's the impact he had on her to be able to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And she's finally dealing with it. And there's one more chapter. I know. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen. We'll find out. Yeah. That said, I want to remind everybody yeah. that we're going to start reading Edge Play yeah, in a couple we... weeks. Yep. 
So once again, I'm going to play the introduction to Edge Play that the author, Jane Boone, read for us. Which is fantastic. Fabulous, right? And I encourage you to get the book. Yeah. So you can read along with us and, and sort of yeah, chime in on these conversations. Yeah, and we always put the writing up on FetLife yeah. and WordPress and different places on Twitter. We have the links. And feel free to put comments and of your own assessment of the chapters as we go along because that's what makes it fun. Right. And we have an opportunity for somebody to reach out to you and put their name forward to yeah. get a copy of the book. Yeah. Because we have a free bound copy. Yeah. Shabari Brown. Bound, bound copy, copy that Jane did. That Jane did with a note from her. So if you'd like to get the book, reach out to Lady Petra. This is the prologue to Edge Play by Jane Boone. Rubini saw the correction coming. So did Schiff. Burry made bets that earned a billion. I wish I'd possessed their foresight I spoke in hushed tones about my concerns to my boss. I nudged the analyst to dig a little deeper, but I was no Cassandra with the gift of prophecy. I heeded the big swinging dicks who said everything was normal. So when the markets crashed, I was stunned and then I was crushed. The beating was devastating. My group was at the epicenter of the financial crisis and the massive correction that followed. If only Xanax had been enough, but something stronger was required. In the dungeon, there was a different kind of correction. Between the whips and the paddles, the ropes and the chains, I was meeting out punishment instead of taking it. The very men who had caused the crisis, those same big swinging dicks, the bankers and their lawyers, were suddenly naked in my presence and paying dearly for the privilege. They begged me for mercy, their cocks hard and their faces filled with need. I warmed to their howls and thrilled to their grunts. Male privilege came disguised as sexual submission, and I wanted to hurt them all, selling misery along with orgasms. And that's how the book begins. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Cheers!